Well, good morning. Good morning. It's good to uh, gather with you this morning. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. And if we uh, haven't had the chance to meet, hope we can meet uh, after our gathering today. Before we dive into God's word, we're going to have God's word read over us. Our sermon text today from Colossians chapter 3. So Caroline's going to read God's word. Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy God, you are mighty and you are magnificent. God, we've been able to sing of your greatness this morning. We thank you for the privilege and opportunity that is to be together. God, thank you for making yourself known to us. Thank you for bringing us together this morning. And we pray now that as we open up your word, that you'd bless our time in it. Your living and active word. God, wash our minds, our hearts, our lives with it today. That as we go from here, that we can live lives that are pleasing to you, glorifying to you, and see others come to know and follow you as well. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see today for your glory and for our good. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So my two older boys uh, both play baseball, and I have the privilege of being one of their coaches, coach both of their teams, which makes the spring very full and busy for our family. My son Isaac is uh, uh, seven years old, er, and he is most of his teammates are around six or seven years old as well. So a lot of them have never played baseball before. This is their first experience getting out on the baseball field. So a lot of what I end up doing with them is helping them learn the basics of the game, like how to throw and how to catch and how to hit, how many outs in an inning, that the position of second base isn't actually where the base is. In every inning, when they get ready to go back out in the field, we call out their positions. Okay, so-and-so is playing pitcher, so-and-so's in left field, so-and-so's at third base. And inevitably, there are two questions that come after that. Where is that again? And what am I supposed to do when I get there? Which is totally fine. They're learning how to play baseball. They're still figuring things out. But you know what? We can do something similar throughout life. When we show up somewhere, get somewhere new, maybe we can say, now, what am I supposed to do now? Maybe it's a new job or a new school or a new serving role. You know, there's something new happening here as well. We've seen God do this great work of bringing two healthy churches together because we really believe, as Mark said, that we can do more together for God's glory and the advancement of the gospel than we could do apart. Sending missionaries, planting churches, seeing people in our community coming to know and follow Christ. It's an exciting time in the life of our church. And I've really loved the last two Sundays we've had together. I love gathering together with you. I love being with one another and singing songs of praise to our God and King. So I think as we begin this new chapter in our story together, now is a good time to ask the same question. When we come together on Sundays, what is it that we're supposed to do? And why? Why do we do the things that we do? This is our third Sunday in our sermon series, Faithful Church, where we're opening up God's word and really looking to see what God is calling us to be together. The church is the global family of God. 
but the church that's the global family of God is expressed in and through the local church. A group of men and women who are committed to Christ and committed to one another. Last Sunday, we saw our call to faithful unity from Ephesians chapter 4. You know, as I've thought about what the church is called to be, something that's been helpful for me, for me over the years in thinking about our life together is that the church exists in two forms, in two ways. We're the church gathered, but then we go out of this place and we're the church scattered. We come together on Sundays and then we scatter throughout the week and we scatter into our neighborhoods and our workplaces and our campuses and classrooms. But something that remains the same is that we never stop being the church. We never stop being committed to Jesus and committed to one another. Well, today we're going to dive into these two verses in Colossians chapter 3. And this is an exhortation to the local church. It could be implied in many ways, but what we're going to focus on today is how it applies to being the church gathered. And what we'll see in this text is that if we are going to be a faithful church, we have to understand our call to faithful gathering. And if we're going to be faithful gatherers, then we must be word-centered and Christ-exalting. We must be word-centered and Christ-exalting. Listen, whether you've been around the church for a long time, and this is something you've been doing for years and years, coming on Sunday morning to gather with God's people, or maybe for some of you this is new, or you haven't been here in a while, and maybe you're just checking out what church is all about and, and who Jesus is. My hope for you, no matter where you come in this morning, is that you'll see the gift of grace it is to be together. The gift of grace it is to come week in and week out. And how God can use it to shape your life for his glory. Making you all the more eager to come back next week. So let's dive into Colossians chapter 3 this morning and may God bless the preaching of his word. If we are going to be a faithful church who faithfully gathers, we must be word-centered. We see this in the beginning of verse 16. Paul writes, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, what is the word of Christ? The word of Christ is both the words that Jesus proclaimed and words that proclaim Jesus. It's namely the gospel. This truth, this reality, the eternal son of God came to us as one of us to rescue us from our sin. He came and took on our humanity as the chief servant, humbling himself, walking in perfect obedience before the Father, willingly going to a cross to die not for his sin, but for our sin. And as we just sang, gloriously rose up from the grave again. That's the word of Christ, this gospel word that comes to us. But what Paul's saying here is a command, let the word of Christ dwell in you. This word of Christ, though, it flows out of the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done. See, when you place your faith in him, when you repent of your sin, turn away from your sin and turn towards Jesus in faith, everything changes for you. You're given a new heart and a new life and a new identity in Christ. And so Paul's saying, let the truth of that gospel word that changes your life, let the truth of the gospel and all of its implications for you dwell in you. Now, what does it mean to dwell? Dwell is a significant word. It's a strong word. My family goes on vacation every year. We have the privilege, the opportunity to do that. We usually go down to the beach. But when we go down there, we stay somewhere, of course. We're visiting that place. But we're not dwelling there. We're just passing through. 
To dwell is to take up residence, to permanently reside, to live in. So when Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you, he doesn't want the word of God to just pass through as if it's on a visit. He wants to see God's word take up residence in your heart and in your mind, renewing and transforming the way you think and the way that you live. In this dwelling in you, this residing in you, he says, is to dwell in you richly. Uh, sometimes we can think of the word richly as about value or money, but this is about deepness. Like eating rich food, it's not about the cost, but the substance. Simply put, what Paul's trying to communicate to us is that he wants to see the gospel have its gracious and glorious way in our life. That God's word would affect every aspect of who we are, that it would take root deep within us in the depths of our heart in the deep parts of our life and produce fruit out of that. Our heart is the motivational structure of our life. Everything else flows from that. And so he wants to see it reside in our heart so that it affects our living and our being and our thinking, seeing our life being transformed and continuing to transform. Now this brings us to one of the most important words in this entire text, the word you, you. See, our tendency in an individualistic culture is to hear this, to read this, and think that Paul is just talking about you in a singular sense. Like, let the word of Christ dwell in you, John, or you, Mark, or you, Steve, or you, Susan, or you, Kim, or you, Kate. Let the word of Christ dwell in me richly. But the word you here isn't singular, it's plural. Now, if the English teachers and grammar gurus in the room will let me speak, speak improperly for a moment, what Paul is saying is, let the word of Christ dwell in you all, or if you're from the South, y'all richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in y'all richly. In other words, Paul is calling us to let the gospel word dwell in us, in this community of his people in the church. Let it dwell amongst this people, this group that's committed to Jesus and one another. This isn't about individuals. It's about the larger body of Christ that make up the local church. See, we have to understand that the word of Christ must be central of and in our life together. It must be central, the foundation because this isn't about me, this is about we. What Paul's declaring and what we have to see is that it's the overflow of the gospel word dwelling richly in the gospel community that enables us then to do these next few things, to teach and admonish and sing. Look at all of verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Teaching and admonishing are interrelated terms. They both involve instruction. One of them is giving instruction to move towards something or someone, and the other is a warning away from someone or something. It's teaching and admonishing, though, that's done with all wisdom. What makes us wise? The word of Christ. The word of God makes us wise. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says this, do not be conformed to this world. In other words, don't go along with the thinking of this world. Don't get sucked up into the way the world is operating that's set against God. But instead, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 
that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God's word is what renews our thinking. It renews how we interact with and engage the world around us. We need to see our minds transformed. We're inundated with information all of the time, things coming at us from all different kinds of places. We need to grow in our ability to be thoughtful. We need to grow in our ability to be discerning, not tossed to and fro by everything we see on the internet. If we're going to be faithful in a world that's set on self and against God, then we must be a word-centered people. But it isn't just about studying the word, but singing it too that has the function of encouragement and correction towards Christ-likeness. See, as the gospel word dwells in us, we as a gospel community, as a church, will also be marked by singing. Singing with thankfulness in our hearts to God, that our life would be so overwhelmed with the grace, the lavish grace we've received in Jesus, that we would overflow in praise to who he is and what he's done. Now, we could look at all these words here and get caught up in what are the differences between psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, but that's not really Paul's point. His point isn't types of songs. His point is the central function of singing in the life of the church. This is where we need to stop and consider the context of all that is being said here. Remember who Paul is writing to. He's writing to a local church. He's writing to the collective body of Christians, the plural you. And so this command in verse 16 isn't about personal Bible study. It's not about listening to sermon podcasts. It's not about singing worship songs in your house or in your car, as good as all of those things might be. He's writing about the corporate gathering of God's people. And so this brings us back to our focus today. The starting place must be with the church gathered because by nature, that's who we are, a gathered people. This has always been true of God's people. God's people throughout time have come together to worship him and him alone. The word we translate church from the original language means gathering or assembly. It's both who we are and what we're to do, gather together. So like we said at the beginning, what then are we to do when we get here? Why do we do what we do when we're here? How can we live out verse 16 when we gather as a church? Well, simply put, what God calls us to do is to read the word, pray the word, preach the word, and sing the word. Everything we do on a Sunday morning, everything we do is intentional. We we sit and we think and we pray and we plan Everything we do on a Sunday morning then is also word-centered because we want to be a church where the word of Christ dwells in us richly. And so we call you to worship by the word. It happened this morning. We call you to worship by the word, reminding you of why it is that you're here and who it is that your focus should be on. I mean, all of us live in Northern Virginia, the DC metro area, right? This is a frenetic place. There's lots going on all the time. There's the hustle and bustle of life. But when you come here on a Sunday morning after a crazy week, or maybe just your Sunday morning's been crazy. If you have a few kids, you know what I'm talking about. You get here in the parking lot and you're like, we made it today. And we're only five minutes late. You come in here and that call to worship is meant for in that moment to calm and quiet your mind and your heart and your soul. Just say, brother, sister, church, 
Let's set our gaze on our king. We sing songs of adoration. The songs we sing are songs of praise to God. God's people are a singing people. I mean, the longest book in the Bible is a book of songs. And so we come and we lift our voices in praise to who he is and what he has done and what he is doing. I mean, the songs we sang this morning, they're very focused on God and exalting who he is, the praise of his glory and grace. As a church, we sing songs that were written hundreds of years ago and songs that were written last year. But all of those songs we desire to be rooted in God's word, informed by the unchanging foundation of the gospel. Man, I love that this church loves to sing. It's so encouraging to me that there's voices being lifted up, that we could hear one another sing. It's so important for us to do that. And you know what? During this strange season we've been in over the last 14 months, we've had to reduce the amount of songs we've been singing. But I've got some good news for you. Next week, we're going back to six songs. Yeah, that's right. Because we want to lift our voices. We want to bring singing praises to our God and King. But you know what? As we've also joined these two churches together, we're trying to combine songs that we're singing with one another. Because we have songs that have fostered our love for God and our love for one another. And so we've set out a, a group of songs, a third of which were Sojourn familiar songs, a third of which were RGC familiar songs and a third that are in common to one another. So what that means is every Sunday, there's gonna be a new song for you to learn. I know that can be a lot, but man, like Mark said in the video this week, as he reminded us again this morning, this is an opportunity for us to lean in together and be united with one another. And we get to sing new songs. We get to be fostered in our worship of God by how we sing. If you wanna learn some of those songs, we have a Spotify playlist that has all of them on it. It's been in the RGC Connect, I believe this week, it'll go out in the sermon follow-up today. If you don't listen to those, make it a plan as you're in your car or around your house to familiarize with the songs we sing. As a church though, we also pray, but we don't just pray whatever, we pray, we pray prayers that are informed by God's word, that are soaked in God's word. We let God's word guide us in what we ask for. Guide us in our thanksgiving and our pleas for mercy and for grace. We also preach God's word. Preaching is the proclamation of the gospel and all of its implications for our life. What that means is that we preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what we're gonna always do, always center our sermons on and in the person and work of Jesus. And here's why, because there's no other name. There's no other name by which any person can be saved or sanctified except Jesus. So we're gonna come back to Christ every week and we preach God's word, not because it's an old book that was written a long time ago, but because it's living and active. It's alive, God wants to use it to guard and guide us. Sermons, never then, are meant to be informational, they're transformational. I mean, have you ever had the experience in sitting on a sermon on a Sunday morning and it feels like whoever's preaching is preaching to you? Like, did you read my email this week? Are you stalking me? Like, what's going on here? Well, two things are going on. First off, I hope as preachers, we do know the people we're preaching to. That's why it's important for us to be a church here in one location because we want to be a body together, but we're not stalking you. The Holy Spirit might be, but not us. That's the, that's the power of the preached word. It's not because we're eloquent in what we say, 
It's because God's word is living and active and there's something that happens when God's people come together under the preaching of the word that God can use that word in your life to transform you in the moment. The spirit as it were, is at work in that time. Now listen, something you'll learn about me if you spend any time with me is I don't like to cook. Oh, let me rephrase that. I don't cook. <laughs> but man, I like to eat. I like some good food, whether it's at home or out. But as much as that's true, if you ask me to tell you what I ate over the last few months every day, I wouldn't be able to tell you that in detail. I might be able to remember a memorable meal or two, but I couldn't tell you about most of those meals. What I can say and what I can see the results of is the kind of food I'm eating, what kind of diet I have. That's our aim in our preaching. We want the word of Christ to dwell in you richly, but we aren't under any false illusion that you are gonna remember every sermon we preach or every word that we say. I mean, you might ask me or Mark on a Wednesday what we preached the previous Sunday and we may not remember either. So why would we expect you to do that as well? No, instead our hope is, is that if you sit under a steady and faithful diet of Christ-centered, gospel-saturated preaching, what you will be able to look back and see is how God has used and is using it in your life to mold you and shape you and conform you more and more to the image of Jesus. The word preached is fuel for your week, just like food is. It's fuel for you, your week that we hope only compels you to dive into God's word on your own the rest of the week. And when God's word is preached, church, when it's proclaimed, when it dwells within us richly, man, we can't help but respond. We can't help but respond. We respond first by imaging the word and taking of communion, a physical act that portrays a spiritual reality that Jesus gave his body and shed his blood for us. And then we sing. You know, one of the reasons I love singing, not just before the preaching of God's word, but after, is because as our hearts have been warmed by God's word, we overflow in praise. As we reflect and we rejoice in singing and with thankfulness in our hearts to God, it seems to me, and maybe I'm off on this, it seems like we often sing louder after the preaching of God's word than we did beforehand. Because God's at work as the word has gone out through our time together. Brothers and sisters, this is what we do when we gather. And why we do it is because the word of Christ preached and sung reminds us and refreshes us of what is true of us and what is true of Jesus. It reminds and refreshes us. It reiterates the gospel. It reiterates what Jesus has accomplished for us. It reminds you that you are his and he is yours that you are united with Christ, that you're in him. It reminds you that you're reconciled to God. It reminds you that if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation for you any longer. It reminds you of your identity and all that entails. And you know what? We need to be reminded of that regularly. We come in here as distracted people and discouraged people and apathetic people. We need our minds, attention and our hearts, affection realigned on Christ. And listen, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, we're so grateful you're here this morning, but this can have the same effect on your life because as you hear the words sung and preached and prayed and read, what you're getting to hear and what we hope you see is how great our God is. And our hope for you today and every day is that you would come to know and follow our risen Savior too. 
But here's where I want to press in a little bit further. I want to challenge us a little bit more so that we can be a faithful church who has faithful gatherings. You can hear all of these things that we're talking about of what we want to do and how we're gathering together and the things we do when we gather together, but you can still do all of it in an individualistic way. You can still show up on Sunday thinking about yourself. We have to remember that when God saves you, he saves you not merely as an individual. He saves you and brings you into a family, into the church. That means that the Sunday gathering then is not primarily for the individual, but for the church. Together we engage. Together we receive the word preached and sung. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book Life Together that we've handed out over the last couple of weeks says this. Why do Christians sing when they're together? The reason is quite simply because in singing together, it is possible for them to speak and pray the same word at the same time. In other words, because here they can unite in the word. Singing together is a sign of our unity as we lift our voices as a congregation with one another. Bonhoeffer goes on to say, it is the voice of the church that is heard in singing together. It's not you that sings. It's the church that is singing, and you, as a member of the church, may share in its singing. We join this song here in this local context, and we join the song of the redeemed that's been sung now for thousands of years. But you know what? It goes deeper than that. We not only sing together in unison to God, we also sing to and over one another. Next week, Mark's going to preach from Ephesians chapter 5, and this is a parallel text to our text today. And it says this in Ephesians 5, 19, be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, seeking and making melody to the Lord with your heart. That means that I'm not just here for me with my singing, but here for we with our singing. You're, you're receiving the preached word and singing actually serves those around you. Yes, even those of you that can't sing. What I mean by that is as you come and as you sing, you don't, may not know what's going on with their brother or sister that's sitting in front of you or behind you or next to you. That right now reads the words that are up on the screen and has a really difficult time believing that any of them are true. That can't actually open their mouths in praise to God because they're struggling in faith right now. But when they see you singing, when they hear you singing and you're full of faith and full of joy and you're believing what's on the screen, you're believing the words that are coming out of your mouth, you bolster their faith. You give them hope. And sometimes you're gonna be that person that needs to hear your brothers and sisters sing these words of grace and truth over you, reminding you of who your God is and how faithful he has been and will always be. We come to gather with the church, not when we're strong in faith, but when we're weak. It's not like, well, I'm not doing well, so I shouldn't show up to church. Because you're not doing well, please show up when we gather together. It's when you need it the most. Not when we're at our best, but when we're at our worst. Not only when we're full of faith, but when we're lacking in it. So listen, have you sinned greatly this week? Or last night? Or this morning? Then come and gather with God's people. Have you felt your mind and your heart wandering, your affections for Christ growing dim? Then come and gather with God's people. Do you find yourself in your life right now full of activities, maybe even good things? Come and gather with God's people. 
Are you distracted or discouraged? Do you feel overwhelmed in life right now or just are generally apathetic to anything and everything? Please come and gather with God's people. And if you're full of faith and joy right now, come and gather with God's people. Bonhoeffer goes on to say, the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. It's a gift of grace to see our brothers and sisters around us, to be within arm's distance, whether that's six feet or three feet or give a hug or a hand tap, whatever it happens to be. We need to be physically present with one another because it reminds us we're not on this race alone. We're not on this journey alone. That's why it's so important to gather week in and week out. This isn't an add-on to your week. It's the beginning of it. It's central to your life. We need to see one another. We need to hear one another engaging God's word because in it we're encouraged and in it we're challenged to keep pressing forward in faith and faithfulness. Brothers and sisters, what would it look like What would it look like if you started thinking about gathering on Sundays, not just for what will serve you, but how your presence can serve others? This last year has been hard. It hasn't been normal. It still doesn't feel quite normal, even when we're kind of getting back to normal. Some of us have been separated and apart. Some of you are at home right now. And man, we miss you. There's been people in our church I haven't seen in over a year. Some of you are in the same place. Some of you are at home right now. And we want to be together. We should long to be together as God's people. And I believe soon and very soon that'll be the case. But we should long for that always. Look forward to that. So if you have a brother or sister right now that you haven't seen in a minute, reach out to them. Tell them how much you can't wait for them to be back. For us to all be together again when you feel like we're able to do that. But let me also challenge us as we think about where we've been this last year, that it might press on some of you that have grown comfortable being at home. And if that's you, let me just encourage you to think about what's been said this morning, what's been preached this morning, and make plans to gather with us in person as soon as you feel you're able. Listen, church, no matter what technology allows, the physical presence of God's people should always be our priority. So with that, let me encourage all of us to consider a few things as we think about Sundays. If the Sunday gathering is the beginning of your week, then what what might it look like for you to orient your life and your schedule around that? What I mean by that is making it a priority to be in town and be present with people. That doesn't mean you can't go on vacation or do things like that. But that you're looking forward and planning your week around, man, I need to be here on Sunday mornings. Which means you might want to think about what you do on Saturday night. How late you're staying up what you're spending your time doing. You can get a good night's rest so that you can come ready to engage on a Sunday morning. Let me also encourage you to arrive on time. We just bumped our service 30 minutes. Keep coming at 1015. (laughs) We'll We'll be good to go. Come a little early. Come and hang out with people in the lobby. I know, I'm busting your chops a little bit. Listen, (laughs) here's why this matters. Because the beginning to the end of the service is intentional. There's something in there for you, and I don't want want you to miss any part of it. Also, here's why. Because someone else needs you to be here. Somebody else needs to see your face and have a conversation with you. They need to see you ready to sing and ready to engage. So arrive on time. And come prepared, having read the word that's going to be preached. 
praying through it. Come ready to engage. Come eager to be with God's people. And listen, if we're going to be a faithful church, we must strive for faithful gathering because it's from our word-centered gathering that we're sent back out into the world. And that we're able to do what Paul calls us to in verse 17, to be Christ-exalting. Let me read this last verse before we get into our time of communion. Paul says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. When you leave this place on Sunday, Monday's waiting for you. An unforeseen challenge on Wednesday is coming. Interactions with your family or your friends or your coworkers or your neighbors, they're all in the queue. Each week is overflowing with opportunities for you to do one of two things, exalt yourself or exalt Christ. And that's why Sundays are so needed and so necessary. You aren't meant to be on this race alone. Our gathering reminds you of that. It equips you and it corrects you. It refreshes and reminds you of who you are and whose you are. It centers you on Christ so that everything you do in word or deed can be done in the name of Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him so that you can go out and preach and proclaim the gospel to those you interact with so that others might come to know him as well. This is not about us. This is about him. We must strive to exalt Christ here so that we can exalt Christ out there. He must increase. We must decrease. So then, if we are going to be a faithful church, We have to understand our call to faithful gathering. And if we're going to faithfully gather, we must be word-centered and Christ-exalting. This is who we are. May it always be so.